Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Is if, if Jesus, who was God in the flesh, was consistently praying, then we should be praying too. There's something about prayer that God uses. Um, it's not that we have this incredible power within ourselves, but God uses our prayers to change things. God uses in some way in his divine sovereignty and God's economy, God uses the prayers of the saints to effect change in the world. And so today we're going to uh, look at a familiar story about a precious widow who was persistent about praying. And so I hope that this serves as a catalyst for us, a springboard for us to start to take prayer a bit more seriously. Um, There was a study a few years ago that says that the average Christian minister, minister prays about four minutes a day, about four minutes a day. And if that's a preacher that prays four minutes a day, my God, how much do the saints pray? Right. And, and so I, I think that we we undermine the importance of prayer. And today I hope that this parable, this story highlights for us the need for us to pray and the need for us to pray continuously. So Luke 18 verses one through eight. And it says this. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said to his disciples, here's what Jesus says. Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let us pray. God, we thank you today. We give you glory and honor today, God. We, we are just, just excited to share in your word today, God. I pray that today that you would do something just uncommon in our hearts and in our minds, God. I pray that you would compel us, God, to, to approach your throne of grace with boldness today. Um, Lord, I pray today that things that we have um, neglected to pray about or pray about or things that we were praying about but we didn't see results we kind of gave up on it I pray today that we will pick those things back up and pray again and, and so father I, I pray today that that we would we would see your son uh, that that Jesus would be known that we would see the goodness of God um, in your son Jesus and what he's done for us and Lord I pray that that we would utilize um, this this means of grace that you've given us, this idea of prayer. You've given us prayer as a gift for us to be able to communicate with you, to come to you as your children. And so today, Father, I just pray that we would see the beauty in it and that we would once again be a house of prayer. And so, Father, we thank you today. Uh, We give you glory. We give you honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. You may be seated. From the sermon series, Life Lessons with Jesus, my sermon title this this morning is prayers that need answers prayers 
that need answers. Famed theologian Charles Spurgeon once said this about prayer. He says that prayer bends the omnipotence of heaven to your desires. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. When I think about prayer, there are people who pray, but then there are people who pray and expect God to answer. My, my hope for you today is that, that, that you're not just a person who will pray, but my prayer today is that you will be a person who prays and expects God to respond to your prayers. What is the purpose of praying if we don't expect God to respond? Have you ever texted somebody without wanting them to respond to you? We can't wait five seconds if somebody hadn't responded to our text. We think that they're ignoring us, right? Because when we communicate with people, we communicate in order for them to respond to us. And so there's one such man that I want to introduce you today who believed that, 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 that we shouldn't just pray, but that we should also pray and expect God to answer our prayers. 19th century philanthropist and evangelist by the name of George Mueller it is recorded that, that, that Mueller, as a philanthropist, established 117 orphanages in his life, and he cared for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. He also supported 189 missionaries. He raised support, financial support, to circulate 275,000 Bibles to circulate all throughout the world in different languages. He, he had a philanthropic heart. He did a lot of great work for the kingdom of God. But, but what George Mueller is most known for is not for his philanthropic work. What he's most known for is his prayer life. There, there are many stories about Mueller and the way that God tends to respond to his prayers. Mueller was a man who we would say was obsessed with prayer. And today I want to tell you the story of one of his most famous prayer stories that, that took place for a large part of his life, he prayed specifically for a small group of men to receive salvation. He, he prayed for five men in particular that he was acquainted with to be saved at some point. And here's what makes this story so uncommon, what makes this story so special and so radical is that he prayed every day for 50 years for the salvation of these men. Every day for 50 years, he asked God and pleaded with God that, that, that he would save one of these men or each one of these men. And here's what Mueller wrote in his own words. He wrote this in November of 1884. He said this, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land or on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Here's what happens. 18 months elapsed, a year and a half elapsed, elapsed before the first of the five men were converted. And here's what Mueller said. I, I, I thank God and I prayed on for the others. Then five years lapsed and then the second man was converted. Mueller said, I thank God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third man was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. However, the remaining two men remain unconverted. And so 
The, the man to whom God, here's what Mueller said about this, the man to whom God in the riches of his grace has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer in the same hour or day in which they were offered has been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these individuals and yet these men remain unconverted. But here's what he says, but I hope in God and I pray on and look yet for the answer. They are not converted and here's what I love. He says they are not converted but yet they will be. He believed that even though these two men still hadn't got saved, he knew that it was just a matter of time before God answered his prayer. And lo and behold, these two men, two of them, these two men, they were the sons of one of George Mueller's childhood friends. These two men were converted after Mueller died in 1897. Here's what I want to say about that. Your prayers don't die when you do. Your prayers don't die when you do. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, that means your prayers are only about you. That you have a selfish prayer life. And I would say to that, that that's no prayer life at all. But there should be some prayers that you are praying that you hope that God even answers in your demise. There should be some things you're praying for and some people that you're praying for that even if something were to happen to you, you pray that God will still use your prayers because we know that our prayers don't die when we do. And so after having prayed daily for their salvation for 52 years, these two unconverted men came to faith in Christ after he was dead. And so here's what I want to say about George Mueller. If you looked up praying without ceasing in the dictionary, it would have a picture of Jesus, Paul, and George Mueller. Mueller prayed about everything and expected every single prayer to be answered. And so here's what I want to present to you today. Here's the question I want to ask. Are you desperate enough about something that you are willing to pray for half a century to see it come to pass? Are you desperate enough to pray about something, something that you're wrestling with, a thing in your life? Are you willing to spend half of a century praying for it? Or another question I want to ask you, do you love an unbelieving family member or friend enough to pray for 50 years to see them come to faith? Or are you fed up enough with the evil that we see in our world that you're willing to get down on your knees every day for 50 years and plead, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so today, in light of the present suffering of the disciples, they are curious about when the Son of Man will return. Son of Man meaning Jesus, when he will return. The disciples were promised by Jesus that they would have trouble in this life, that, that there would be suffering in this life, and, and that one day the Son of Man would come, but they would have to wait for his return. And so what comes before the parable actually sets the tone of the story. Jesus had told his disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. He said that the days are coming where things will be so bad, there will be so much heartache, there'll be so much wickedness and evil in the world that you will long to see Jesus come and return. Have you ever just turned on the news or was scrolling on social media and you saw so much evil in the world, you was just like, Lord, get thy kingdom come. 
That that will be done on earth as it is. And if I see one more mass shooting, if I see one more school get shot up, these things should make you pray that kingdom come, that will be done. Right. And so so here's what I'm saying. There is there is a persecution. There is a suffering that there oftentimes is an oppression that comes along with being a follower of Jesus. And so this suffering that comes along with being a follower of Jesus oftentimes comes with with the world that's not really tolerant to Christ or Christianity. That there's this social pressure that, that we know that is evident with living in a world that seemingly is becoming more and more godless. So the pressure that comes to us, the pressure that, 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 that comes when you're trying to stand for your faith and resist the urge to conform to the world at the same time. You, you as a Christian can oftentimes feel like a, a, a misfit because you, be, you believe crazy abnormal stuff that, that, that marriage should be between an actual man and an actual woman. When you believe, when you believe, believe no, abnormal, abnormal stuff like, like, like fathers should be in the home. When you believe abnormal, crazy, outlandish things in our culture, like, 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 like we shouldn't take prayer out of schools. When you believe crazy things that, that we're all sinful in need of a Savior. When you feel, when you believe those abnormal things in the culture, it can sometimes feel like you don't belong here. But in those times, we should be praying one particular prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So... We pray that kingdom come. What we're praying is, God, let your reign continue to extend in the world. God, let those who are your enemies be converted. Let those who stand against you submit and surrender to your will. God, God, we are praying for the day, the, the day to come when you will get rid of all of evil and sin and suffering and all of those things will finally be eradicated. God, we are praying for your kingdom to come. And so this is the context for this parable And so what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to realize that there is a call to remain faithful in the between time of his this not yet and already that we live in. That that, that the kingdom has already come, but not yet like it will come. That that Jesus has already, the, the, the inauguration of the kingdom has already happened, but not in full ultimately like it will be when he returns. And so we live in this in-between tension. And so what Christ wants us to do is that he wants us to remain faithful while we wait. How we wait matters. And so there are two things that will aid in our faithfulness while we wait on Jesus. Two things, prayer and perseverance. Prayer and perseverance. Prayer and perseverance. And here's what he says. So he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. The first thing I want you to notice is that he didn't say he, it didn't say he told them a parable on the want for them to pray always and not give up. He literally says the need. Prayer is not a want. Prayer is a need. P- prayer is a necessity in the life of a Christian. You will not survive without it. Most of our issues, most of our discontentment, most of our anxiety, most of the, the pressure that we feel in this life, most of the uneasiness and the chaos that we feel internally is due to a lack of prayerlessness. It's due to prayerlessness. We, we don't have these robust, fluid prayer lives where we sit before God. Before we go to the physical counselor, we should consult with the great counselor. 
the wonderful counselor. That, that's who we should talk to. And so there's a, not a want for us to pray or a desire for us to pray. There's a need for us to pray. And he says, pray always, meaning pray again and again. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pause and I want to just take a look at the Apostle Paul who I said would be on the, the Mount Rushmore of, of intercessors, right? He and Jesus would be on the Mount Rushmore of intercessors, but there's things that he always says to his churches when he wrote these letters. And so we want to look through a couple of scriptures real quick. When we get to Romans 12 and 12, here's what Paul says to the church at Rome. Paul says this in Romans 12 and 12, Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Colossians 4 and 2, here's what he says to this church. Be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you pray, giving thanks to God. When he wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, here's what he says. Never stop praying. Prayer is the natural posture of a Christian. And so when he says pray without ceasing, that doesn't mean you don't go to work. You would like for, that's what, for, that, that, for, what, for, for what it to mean that. You would like for that to be the case. That, that, that's not what he means. He just means that we should be continually praying. But oftentimes we try to make prayer form a leg. I got to be on my knees. I got to be standing up. My hands got to be together like the little prayer symbol. I got to be at church to pray. I got to be in a holy place to pray. I can't pray with the TV on. I got to do all these different things. No, you can pray wherever you are at whenever you're there. That there is no form. You, you can call on him anytime you get ready to, anytime you feel the urge. There is no inappropriate place to pray. So Paul says we should, we should always be praying. Charles Spurgeon once said this, prayer can never be in excess. Right? The Bible talks about excess. We, 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 we shouldn't be drunk with wine, right? That, that there are some things that we should have in excess, but prayer ain't one of them. There's never too much prayer. Whether we are in a season of great peace and joy or whether we are in a season of trial, we should always be praying. Prayer is the place where we draw on the strength of God in the midst of our trials. Prayer is where we get the boldness to actually stay in the fright. Prayer is what gives us the power to make sure that we don't tuck our tails and run when times get hard. And so what I think gives us pause when it comes to praying is actually our perspective. I think our perspective needs a little bit of amending, a little bit of adjusting. I think what keeps us from praying is our perspective about prayer, which introduces the problem, the problem of answered prayer. We get discouraged because God is not answering our prayers. We, we're not seeing results. We want instant gratification. We believe that if we pray once, God should immediately answer our prayers. And I do hope that God answers your prayer immediately whenever you pray, but that's not how God always works. And so there's a problem with, with, with answered prayer. What do you mean a problem with answered prayer? Isn't that the point of prayer? No. Here's the thing. I know this, that if you and I knew that God answered prayer immediately, we would never stop praying. You never stop. You'll be, be a prayer warrior of the century. You'd you be the greatest intercessor that ever you lived if you knew that God answered your prayers immediately, right? But, but there's, a, there's a thing. God doesn't do that, right? James tells us kind of, James, Jesus' brother kind of tells us why. He says you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures, right? right? And so God knows, I can't be answering all of your prayers because if God answered every prayer immediately, it would no longer be a relationship. It would be a business transaction. 
You would go around, give me, 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 give me. You would want no relationship with him. You would only want what he can give you. And here's the thing. Nobody wants to be in that kind of relationship, but you try to superimpose that kind of relationship on God. And so, 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 so there is a problem with answered prayer. If God answered every prayer, you would only talk to God for as long as it takes for him to answer your little shallow want. Then you go on about your business and leave $5 on the nightstand. What makes a real good relationship a good relationship is that we've learned that both parties can't have their way when they want it. <laughs> we, 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 we learn in a good relationship how to navigate through it in a way that we learn that there is give and that there is take. There are some adjustments that we have to make. There are some things that we both have to fight and struggle through for an extended period of time. If you ask any woman, any woman, this is no shot of women, what's the key to communication? Everyone would say, it's, what's the key to every relationship? It's communication. We just don't communicate. We need to communicate more. If we would just communicate better. I don't understand you and you don't understand me and we should be communicating. Here's what women realize, that communication brings closeness. We learn the likes and the dislikes as time goes on. As we communicate more, we discover more and more about each other. You can be with somebody for five years and learn something new. My wife learned something new about me this past week. I bought a pair of Timberland boots. She says, you don't wear Timberlands? I said, girl, I've been had Timberlands. I was wearing Timbo's in the late 90s, in the early 2000s. I didn't even know you. I wore Timbo's way back then. She's like, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. You will not hate on my, my wheat Tims. After all these years, she finally learned something new about me. It's an it's ongoing process of discovery, right? And this is what our relationship with God is like. We learn more about him as we are in communication and closeness with him. And even if we communicate, if there's a disagreement, we learn to work through it and we grow together. And here's what it does. It brings greater trust, understanding, intimacy happens. And so here's what God wants. More than God wants to answer your prayer, God wants a relationship with you. God wants a relationship with you. We miss the point of prayer if you think answer prayer is the goal. That's the coldest thing I've ever said to you. You miss the point of prayer if you think that answer prayer is the goal of prayer. Answer prayer is not the goal of prayer. The goal of prayer is relationship with God. Right? And answered prayer is a byproduct and benefit of prayer. It ain't the main thing. The point of prayer is the journey of relationship where we grow in intimacy with one another. I love the way that, that, that prayer warrior Ian Bowles said it. He said it like this. Prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. This is what prayer should be for us. What should propel us to keep going back to God with our requests is that we know him so well that whatever he decides to do and however he responds, we can trust that he wants what's best for us. 
the relationship builds trust. We can trust that God will always do right by us. He loves us and we love him. We, we can continually come to him in prayer no matter how great the dilemma or the challenge may be because we know that we can trust him. And we know sometimes that God will answer our prayer like, like George Mueller because James 5 and 17 tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. It works. And so we can pray boldly. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the case in the parable that Jesus puts before us with this widow who, who is seeking justice. The only way that she knows how, by appealing to the only one who can solve her issue. She has no other alternatives. Here's what it says in verses 2 through 5. Would you look at it with me? There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, while he was unwilling, he later said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, I'm so tired of this nagging woman. I'm sorry, that's my version. Yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't get on my last, I'm sorry, she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. And so here's what you need to know about a judge. A judge was the most powerful person in society. Judge is the most powerful person in society. He, he had the responsibility to judge fairly, to arbitrate issues that came up. But, but the way this judge's character is described, he's anything but what a judge should be. He's the antithesis of a judge. He, he was supposed to be a man as a judge. He was supposed to be a man that feared the Lord. He was supposed to be a man that, 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 that knew that he was supposed to judge and rule on God's behalf. He was God's instrument, meaning he was supposed to be fair and uh, equitable. He was supposed to be just towards people. He was supposed to be impartial. He was supposed to be compassionate towards people. He was supposed to judge in a way that was consistent with the character of God. And one of his jobs as the most powerful person in this town was to look out for the poor, the orphan, and the widow. That was his job. But the Bible tells us he didn't fear God or respect people. He was anything but fair and just. He, he was not moved by compassion for people. This is why he's known as an unjust judge. He didn't care about, he didn't even, he didn't even care what people thought about him. He thrived off of having a reputation of being a callous, hard-hearted judge. He liked the reputation of being unfair and unjust. If, if anyone came to him, if you didn't have some notoriety or you didn't have the money to bribe him, you didn't have a chance to get justice. There was zero possibility if you didn't have a name or, or some finances that he was going to look out for you and judge you fairly. And so receiving justice from this judge was impossible, especially if you're an orphan or widow. A judge is the most powerful person in society, but the widow is the most powerless person in society. Widows were vulnerable. In the case of this widow, she's poor and vulnerable. For, for a widow, you may not know this, but, but their life was tied up into who they were married to. And so losing a husband meant not only did she lose her protector, but she lost her provider. So a so widow is in a tough spot. There, there is no man to defend her honor or fight for her. And so this is why in the Bible, widows were under special consideration from God. It was... 
the community's responsibility or her relative's responsibility to take care of the widow. This is why in James 1, he, he says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Here's what he says, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is a responsibility that the church has, that we look out for the orphan and the widow because God wants us to, because God looks out for the orphan and the widow. But for some reason, somebody dropped the ball on this woman. Somebody, somebody didn't follow up with this lady. Somebody knew she was in need and didn't step up to the plate to take care of her. Maybe they were looking around, waiting for the church to do something. Maybe they knew about an issue, but they, they, didn't, they didn't care enough to, to rally the troop, to galvanize some people together, to look out for this widow. And so the widow is in this hard predicament and so for some reason we're, we're not clear why but she's seeking justice that there is a belief that maybe she was owed some some money from her husband's estate when he passed and so so she would have needed these funds to survive but there is an adversary that is standing in her way she says give me justice against my adversary somebody somebody has wronged this lady and somebody is withholding the relief the resources that actually belong to her and so her request is essentially this grant me justice and punish the guilty person who's been taking advantage of me and so she wants somebody to rescue her from her injustice she is in a hard situation something that actually belongs to her is being withheld from her and so there's an urgency in her request this is a dire situation she doesn't want justice she actually needs justice she, she actually needs justice she, she needs these funds in order to survive this is so important to her that she can't afford not to be persistent some situations ought to be so bad, you can't afford not to keep praying. She can't afford to treat this like some casual issue. This is a matter of life for this woman. My question to you today is, do you have any urgent requests from God? Because if you haven't kept going, it's not urgent enough. If you prayed about it, you, you prayed for, for a season, you prayed for a couple months, and then you didn't see no results, and you stopped praying about it, it wasn't urgent for you. That, that, wasn't a, that, that wasn't a need. That was just something that you wanted. You've learned to live without it. But there ought to be some stuff that's on your heart that, 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 that is so concerning to you, that is such a burden to you, that you can't let go of it. And what this woman is teaching us is that if you feel that way, it's worth it to keep going. The, ma- the, the problem in the text is that she runs up against an impossible task. The most power, powerless person in society is going up against the most powerful person in society. But the problem is he's ungodly, he's unrighteous, and he's unjust. In a normal circumstance, a judge would hear her case and feel a responsibility, he would feel an obligation to rule in her favor, to give her what she needs. But there's nobody there in this situation to appeal on her behalf, and so this woman is helpless. She, she's helpless. And I don't know if you've ever felt helpless before, but this is what she feels like. But, 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 but it's not bad. The posture of anybody who comes to God is one who's helpless. You can't come to God prideful. You can't come to God having it all together. That's the problem with people think about Christianity. You've got to have it together before you come to God. The, the point of Christianity is you come to God because you are helpless. 
You've reached the end of your rope. You realize you can't help yourself. You are in a predicament that you can't get yourself out of. Helplessness is not the nuisance that we think it is. Our culture teaches us be self-sufficient, be independent, get it on your own, get it out the mud, get it out the clouds, get it out the sky, get it out from where we got to get it from. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. We, we listen to all of this stuff. So it's no wonder why we have a hard time with Christianity because we have to be humble enough to come helpless before God. This woman is helpless. This is how we come to God, when we acknowledge that we are incapable of fixing ourselves in our greatest problem, which is our sin problem. And so here's what God does. He saves those that come to him, acknowledging their need for him. It's kind of like, like, like Jesus said in John 5, 14, you can do nothing without me. We have to get to that point where we're so helpless that we realize we can't do anything without God. This is how we come to him for salvation. This is also how we come to God in prayer, helpless. The, 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 the mode of prayer actually mirrors the gospel that we come with nothing and God gives us a free gift. So prayer is a declaration of dependence. You know, in our country, we celebrate our independence, but in the kingdom, we celebrate our dependence because we're dependent upon God. Jesus himself expressed his dependence on the Father during his earthly ministry. He offered up prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And so in the kingdom of God, there is a power in powerlessness. Powerlessness actually drives us to pray. So for this lady, it's not only prayer that she needs, but it's persistent prayer. Persistent prayer is her only weapon, and she kept coming every day. She did not care that he was unjust. She did not care that he was unmoved. She prayed faithfully, even when her answer seemed far away. She was not deterred by his unbotheredness. Matter of fact, I wrote this in my notes. She was more, unbo- she was more unbothered by his unbotheredness than he was unbothered. Let me say that again for the people that still kind of processing. She was more unbothered by his unbotheredness than he was unbothered. He thought he was unbothered, but she was more unbothered by his unbotheredness. And so because she kept coming every day, she kept pestering him. She kept bombarding him. She kept coming to him. Every day the office opened up for, for him to hear appeals. There she was. Whenever he got ready to think, wake up in the morning, he knew this widow was going to be waiting for me. She going to be there when I get there. You ever had somebody just got on your last nerve and they just never got a hint? They never got the picture? You, you ever went on a car lot and they just won't leave you alone? You ever walked into a store and they just, and they just follow you around the store? You needed help? Here's the clearance section. Here's the other section. Here's the mediums. Here's the largest. Here's the smalls. Hey, hey man, I'm just looking. But there's something about their, their persistence that bothers you. And you got two choices to make. Either you leave or you buy something. But doing nothing is not an option. Because nobody can stand for somebody to get on their nerves. We all got a limit. And this judge did too. He ignored her for as long as he could. She was like, she was like P. Diddy. Can't stop, won't stop. And the Bible says, she was wearing me out. This is literally a boxing term, which means to punch somebody under the eye until they get a black eye. 
This literally means she was wearing him down. It was like somebody kept punching him in the eye. It was like, now, now she was not physically punching him in the eye, but she was wearing down his emotions to the point where he said, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm going to give her justice. Her constant coming was what brought her justice. Don't miss this. Her constant prayer is what got her prayers answered. It wasn't that she just prayed one time and just let it go, but it was her persistence that eventually paid off. She she was so bothered by the injustice that prayer was her only option. Many of us are vexed by some of the injustices that we see in the world. We see governmental injustices. We see educational injustices. We see financial injustices. Some of us are troubled by things that we personally experience in our lives. Maybe there are things that have happened to you. Maybe there are things that are going on in your life that you have no God, no earthly explanation for, and, and you know that it's not something that you did, but it's a situation that you find yourself in. Th- th- these are the things that we are supposed to be constantly praying for. And so this parable serves as a model for us to always pray and pray to the only one that we know that can bring us justice. This is where we make the mistake of assuming that if we just keep asking God, no matter the request, that he'll eventually give up and answer the prayer. Now, now, now this is what happens, but, but that's not what God is trying, that's not what the story is trying to teach us. The, the, teach, the, the parable is not trying to communicate to us, if you just pray long enough, God is going to answer. That may be a byproduct, but what it's really saying is this, that if you are weak, If you feel helpless in an area, if you've done all that you know how to do, if you've turned up every turn, every stone, if you went to the doctors, if you went to the counselor, if you've taken the medication, if you tried to to fix the resume, if you tried to save the money, if none of the things are working for you, what it's really saying is that you don't have a cold-hearted, hard-hearted justice that you got to go before. You actually are going to a loving, caring, kind, compassionate father who loves to answer the prayers of his children. And so this is what this parable all about is all about. Here's what it says in verse 6 through 8. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cried to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Here's what he's trying to do. Here's what he's trying to say. How much more so will, it, will your loving, caring, compassionate, and merciful, just God, who is your father, give justice to you, who is his child? How much more is he willing to respond to you? Matthew seven eleven says this. It's not on the screen, but here's what it says. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? But I think, I know this is Mother's Day, but I think what's happened is, We've projected deadbeat dad onto God. Subconsciously, some of us have projected onto God the Father our experience with our earthly father. And so because he was not there, then God probably is not there either. He didn't love me right. Surely God's not going to love me right. He, he, he never came through for me. So, of course, God is not going to come through for me. 
He, he didn't provide for me. So of course God is not going to provide for me. He didn't protect me. There were things that he could have showed me, lessons he could have taught me, things I had to learn on my own through trial and error that he wasn't there for me. So surely the God that I can't see is going to be the same way that my father was. But I got news for you today. Your heavenly father is nothing like your earthly father. Even if you had a great earthly father, he pales in comparison to your heavenly father. Because he is perfect. He knows what you have need of before you even ask him. And what this is encouraging us to do is that, to, to know that God is not sleep. God, God is not, not, not oversleeping on your issue. God, God is not, not got his AirPods in and he's not listening to your prayer. God, God, God hears every prayer that you pray. But you have to have the confidence to know that just because he hadn't answered my prayer doesn't mean that he doesn't hear me. Think about it this way. If you have children... And your six-year-old says, I want to drive. If you don't give them the keys, does that mean that you don't love them? The fact that you don't give them what they're asking for is a sign that you actually do love them. You know what people would think was crazy and unloving? If you gave that six-year-old the keys to the car. People would think that you have lost your mind. Sometimes we're asking God for stuff that he knows in his wisdom that we're not ready for or it's just not time yet. Let me tell you this, if there's something that God wants to get to you, he is going to get it to you just when you need it. He may not come when you want him. You know the rest. You know how it goes. You've been in church. Here's the thing. What, what bolsters our waiting is to know that the kingdom of God has already started. When Jesus came, suffered, died, rose from the grave, that was evidence for us. That, 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 that was the substance, the foundation of what we need to actually trust God, to know and believe that he will return at some point and he will vindicate us. The, re- the, the cross and the resurrection should undergird our hope and give us confidence in our prayer life. If Jesus got out of the grave, surely he is going to return and get everything that has been out of order in order. So here's what happens as I get ready to close. Jesus doesn't deny that there are going to be some tough days in the Christian life. He, the, the, the gospel doesn't deny that there will be a temptation to throw in the towel. There will be days when you look at the world and you look at your own life and you will second guess why you're following Jesus at all. You, you will say, what, what, is, what is even happening right now? If you've never experienced that, you ain't been living long enough. There'll be times in your faith where things just don't make sense. Let me put it in layman terms. There'll be times in your life where the math ain't mathing. What is the solution? Keep praying despite the disappointment. Keep praying. Justice is not lost on God. Many of you may not know this, but the injustices that have been brought about because of the fall, all of the isms, racism, sexism, extremism, all of the isms will be eradicated at some point. We have to not forget that, that, the, that, that, that there's a, Reason in God's divine sovereignty where he, why he hasn't come back and made it right yet. 
But just because he hasn't come back, come, come back yet doesn't mean that he won't. He will. The, the resurrection proves that to us. It gives us hope that he will do what he said. And he says he's going to return. He will. But we have to wait in the meantime. And God is not just waiting because he's bored or he's, he's playing games up there or, or he's playing video games or, or he's scrolling the Internet and he's being in, entertained and he forgot all about us. That's not what's happening. Here's why God is waiting. Never forget this. Second Peter chapter three, verse eight through nine. Never forget this. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. The Lord one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promises. Some understand delay. But is patient with you. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God is graciously giving the unrepentant time to repent. That is the only reason. God is not wasting one single solitary second. God's waiting is intentional. God is so compassionate and so just. He is giving people time to repent. What should we be doing? Praying. Yeah. And so here's what I want you to know. Delay is not a good excuse for you to lose your faith. Let me say that again. Delay is not a good reason for you to throw in the towel. Delay is not a good reason for you to give up. Everything worth something in life takes time. If you get sick and you call the ambulance, do they magically appear? No, you have to wait on them coming. But just because you don't hear the sirens don't mean that you don't think they're coming. You know as soon as you call them, they're coming. Whether you hear them or see them or not, you know eventually they're coming. When you go to a restaurant and you place your order, you don't have to be in the kitchen. You don't even have to smell your particular dish. You know because you put in your order that eventually there's an expectation that they're bringing your meal. You didn't see them make it. You don't know how long it's going to take. But you sit there expectantly waiting, knowing with confidence that you're going to eat. If you can do that at a restaurant, how much more so can you do that for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? The question is not whether God will respond to our prayers, but whether we will be responsible and faithful while we wait. And so, my final question to you, and I'm done. Will you trust God when you can't see him? Will you trust him when you can't see him? And let me give you some hope. The cross and the empty grave were the only events that were needed to secure our future hope and give us certainty that waiting will be worth it. Let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.